All right. Uh, today we're going to look at John chapter 8, and I'm going to read a little bit from there, uh, beginning at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you're doing what you have heard from your father. <clears throat> this is where it gets serious. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. 
As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if, you, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Lord, I pray <clears throat> that you would speak to us today. We want to hear. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear what you have to say. We open our, our hearts to you. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear your voice, to receive from you. Help us, God. Help us to lean into you today, to get all that you have for us. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is at the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's when this occurs, and he's standing in what would be called uh, the court of the women. It, it's, it's not a court just for women, but it's a court where men and women uh, are allowed to come, and so it, they call it the court of the women. Uh, it's an upper court, and most likely, based on the things that, that are said in this passage, he's standing near uh, 16 bowls. There were 16 bowls filled with oil uh, and then lit, and so they're you can picture that in your mind, these, these bowls shaped like this that are on poles. They've got oil in them, and, and they've been lit, so this, the flame is burning. And that's when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So he's standing with that as the backdrop. I am the light of the world. And, and his statements are not like the prophets. Um, the prophets always were either, they were doing one of two things. They were either pointing forward there's one coming, there's one coming, there's one coming, or they were correcting. Uh, repent, turn from your ways, do something different than what you're doing. Uh, Jesus comes with a, a, a different message. Jesus is different is not look over there. Jesus' message is look right here. Jesus' message is, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you're thirsty, Come to me. He also says uh, in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. And so the two basic things that you need for life, bread and water, Jesus says, you find life in me. He doesn't point them anywhere else. Every other prophet is pointing somewhere else. Jesus comes pointing to himself. 
and saying, look at me, look at me. Now, these statements clearly are meant to communicate to them his divinity. Jesus is, is not leaving it really to chance. He is saying clearly to them, I have come from the Father. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. He is making it clear. These statements clearly point to his divinity, and ultimately they will divide his audience into two parts. There will be those who passionately follow him and those who passionately oppose him. Uh, so some believe what he has to say and some don't. And the question that we want to kind of wrestle with a little bit today is why? Why do some believe and some not? Um, more specifically, I want to focus first on why is it that his opponents don't believe what he's saying? This is what they've been looking for. It's what they've studied for. It's what they've prepared for their entire lives is to find the Messiah. That, that's been the motivation of their life. Find the Messiah, find the Messiah. And yet when he stands right before them, they don't see him. So why do they not believe? Uh, in the verses that we just read in, in chapter 8, I think Jesus gives us a couple of reasons uh, why they don't believe that, that can help us uh, even as we deal with people today in our own lives who don't believe. You know, sometimes our focus, when, when we run into people, we bump into people, maybe they're family members, maybe they're just friends, maybe they're neighbors, but we run into people and we have a relationship with people who don't believe and we get frustrated because no matter what we say, they just don't believe and we don't understand a lot of times. Why can't they just get it? Number one, the first reason I would say people don't believe is they don't believe because they are of this world. They're of this world. Their, their focus is here. Their focus is this world. Jesus said in verse 15, you judge by human standards. In verse 23, he says, you are from below and I am from above. He's not saying they're from hell. He's saying they're from here, <laughs> right? They're from here. Their focus is earth. Their focus is the here and now. You are from this world. I am not of this world. If you focus on this world, you'll be confused and you'll be conflicted. Now, even as a believer, even as someone who has chosen to believe, if your focus becomes this world, the here and now, what's going on here, if that is your primary focus, you'll be confused because you don't belong here. You're here but you don't, you're not gonna stay here. You don't belong here. Uh, this is not home. Uh, we're actually made for a better place. Now, what, what goes on in life is sometimes we focus on what I would call physical gratification. Physical gratification has to do with right now. What's happening now? What can I do to get what I want, to have what I think I need right now, right here, rather than focusing on spiritual significance. Now, here's the difference, just a primary difference. There are a lot of differences, but one of the primary differences is 
that physical gratification, you get what you want now, you pay for it later. Spiritual significance, you pay for it now, you get it later. It's just a little bit different. But the choices that we make can determine, you know, the focus that we have can determine the beliefs that we embrace. If your primary focus is the here and now, it, that will shape what you believe. And it will shape oftentimes what you believe about God. But if your focus is forward, eternity, that will shape your focus. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 says, we have eternity in our hearts. Uh, Mark Buchanan wrote a book called Things Unseen. And in that book, he says, we're heaven bent. Our hearts have an inner tilt upward. Uh, this world's not enough for you. If you make this world your focus, you will never be satisfied because this world is not enough for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2 says it this way. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Anybody groaned this week? <laughs> I mean, if you, when, you, when we look around and we see what's going on around us, I, I don't know about you, it makes me groan. It makes me long for what is to come. Uh, if we have eternity in our hearts, uh, C.S. Lewis says this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. So I'm not saying, you know the old phrase, you know, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. What I'm saying is the opposite of that. I'm saying that if you are heavenly minded, you will be more earthly good than those who are earthly minded. If your focus is on eternal things, if your perspective is eternity, it will shape what you believe, which will shape how you behave, which will have impact on the world that you live in. So, uh, number one, they didn't believe because they were focused on the here and now. Number two, they don't believe because they're slaves to sin. Verse 34, he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Verse 21, he says, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Verse 23, he says, if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, remember, these, these are religious people that he's dealing with. They're religious people. They prayed, they worshiped, they studied, they carefully followed the law. So what is their sin? These, these were people who were trying hard not to sin. They were trying their very best to obey the law. So what is their sin? Their sin is unbelief. Their sin is unbelief laced with an unwillingness to change. They had made up their minds. They had made up their minds. They were set in what they thought. They were standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Messiah, face-to-face, -to -face, 
with the Messiah that they had been looking for their whole lives and they couldn't see him. They couldn't see him, they couldn't believe because they were too busy making points back to him about what they believed. You're slaves. We've never been slaves. Everything he said to them, they pushed back against based on what they thought, based on their perspective, their belief system. The sin, their sin is clinging so tightly to the past that they miss the present. They cling so tightly to the past that they miss the present. And because they miss the present, which is Jesus standing right in front of them, they forfeit their future. Sin will blind your eyes, it will shut your ears, and it will freeze your heart. They couldn't believe because they were of this world, and they couldn't believe because they were slaves to sin. But, but the biggie, number three, they don't believe because their father is the devil. <clears throat> Several years ago, I, I got a phone call uh, from a magazine, newspaper, uh, campus newspaper at University of Georgia. They called me and they said, hey, we wanna, uh, we're doing a, a story on this particular uh, campus organization, and we asked them who, they sh who we should talk to outside of their organization that might, you know, could, could speak to who they are and what they stand for, and they told us you. And I was surprised, and uh, they said, uh, you know, what do you think? of this particular organization, and I said, not much. And they said, you, you don't think much of this organization? And I said, no, I don't think of this organization much. And, <laughs> and they said, well, they say that your organization's beliefs and theirs are, are very similar. And I said, well, that surprises me because my opinion is that our beliefs are very different. And I, I said, you know, we're we're a Christian organization, and uh, you know we we follow God. And the reporter responded, "Well, they say that we're all God's children." And I said, "Well, actually, um, Jesus said that if we believe Him, if we believe in Him and put our trust in Him, He gives us the right to become." children of God, and I said, and later on he actually said that if we don't believe in him, that our father is the devil. And so the headline on the front page of this newspaper says, Tanner says, and the name of the organization, children of the devil. So I did say it, but you know, so... They don't believe because their father is the devil. Um, verse 43 says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. Again, if we focus on the things of this world, it will affect our belief system. Guys, the Bible says that he is, the devil is the God of this world. He's been given that temporarily. He's called the God of this world, the God of this age. And so if we focus on this world, 
It will affect what we believe, which will affect how we behave. And, and it'll mess you up because he's the father of lies. If your belief system is based on something that he has been given charge of, it will mess up your thinking because the thing that he is the best at is lying. How many of you have noticed that there are good liars and bad liars? Some people are just good at lying. <laughs> They're really good at lying and they, and, and they make you believe them. Some people tell you a lie and you just go, you're a bad liar. I, I can tell right now. I could tell with the first word that came out of your mouth that you were lying. The devil's a really good liar and he is deceived. He, that's why the Bible says he's the father of lies and he has deceived so many. Jesus said what? When he lies, he's speaking his native language. So, we all know people that fall into these categories. You know, one of these three categories. We have friends, family members. And so the real point of today is what do we do? How do we approach these people that we know, these people that we love, people that we care about, who maybe fall into one of these three categories? So number one, we pray for their eyes to be opened. When it comes to people who don't believe, it's just wrong. Our approach is, can't you see you, why you're wrong? Can't you see, you know, let's look at, let's focus on what you're doing wrong, what you're thinking that's wrong, what you're saying that's wrong. And, and we point to it and point, we point to their sins, we point to their sin, we point to their sin, and they just can't see it. Listen, do they need to see their sin? Sure. But you know what they need to see first? Jesus. Jesus will point their sin out to them. And so what we need to pray is that their eyes would be open and they would see Jesus. We need to pray first and foremost for a revelation of God, a revelation of the Father, that they would see Jesus for who he is. We pray for a revelation of the Father's love. Listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Can you think of a better thing for someone to see than the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? And according to this passage, the thing that is keeping them from seeing that is that the enemy has blinded their eyes. And so if we pray for God to open their eyes so that they can see the glory of Jesus, the glory of the Christ, which is the image of God, that, that will be an amazing thing. So we pray for eyes to be open to who Jesus is. And as we pray, we pray for the Son to reveal himself and for the Spirit to highlight the love of the Father. Second thing we do is we do what we know. We do what we know. In other words, if you know what you believe, live like you actually believe what you believe. Live what you believe. Don't be convicted by your own testimony. John 8, 31, says, Jesus says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, when we say, do what you know, don't miss this. I'm not saying, go out there and try harder. I'm not saying, muster up all the grit and effort that you can and be better. Dead gummit, <laughs> be better. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, get your belief system and your behavior from heaven and begin to live and walk through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not self-effort, but the infilling of the Spirit. It's not about effort as much as it is about surrender. Surrender to Him your behavior. If you have a bad temper, give it to Him. Surrender the things you struggle with. Give them to Jesus and let Him change you and shift in you. One of the reasons that the world doesn't see Jesus is because the church in many ways has made him unrecognizable. In the way that we treat sinners and the way we treat each other. And if we want the world to see Jesus, then we need to be a better representation of who he is and what he stands for. And the way to do that is not self-effort. The way to do that is not reforming ourselves. The way to do that is surrendering to him and allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to live his life in us and through us. We need to, to live in such a way that removes the world's excuse. The excuse that the world makes is they point at the church and they say, look, they don't do what they say. We have to remove that excuse, and the only way to do it is by being empowered by the Spirit of God. Obedience brings freedom. And obedience is not just an academic assent. It's not just head knowledge. Freedom comes from truly holding and giving ourselves to the things that Jesus said. When you give your heart to the things that Jesus said, and you truly believe them, then you'll find yourself walking in the power of the Spirit after those things. Uh, Randy Alcorn said this in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. The Western gospel has taught that Jesus wants us to be wealthy and healthy, ignoring the fact that most of the disciples were poor and Paul was sick his whole life. The unbelieving world is watching to see if we live our faith. And, and not just if we live our faith, but if we live our faith in love. So pray for the eyes to be open. Surrender your heart, your will, your emotions to God. Ask him to fill you with his spirit, to empower you to live, and then Lift up the sun. Third thing, lift up the sun. Now, 
The context that Jesus uses is, he says, when the son has, when you lift the son up, he's talking about his crucifixion. But we can take that same passage and, and say, when we lift up the son, it's different. When we lift up the son, we're not putting him on the cross, but we're pointing to what he did on the cross. So lift up the son. Verse 28, he says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. How we live will either point or point them in the direction of the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom of God. Our perspective, again, our focus will shape our beliefs. Our beliefs will shape our behavior. And what the, the people of the world see of the Son if they see something other than that, then we're living a self-defeating life. Jesus was very clear that the only way out of sin is believing in him. And so our goal, as we pray for the eyes of the world to be open, as we seek to live a surrendered life, we believe that God will then open doors and we will obediently step through those doors. And those doors will offer us a chance to lift up the sun with our friends, our family members, total strangers. Spend less time banging on doors that are locked and more time walking through doors that have been opened. Now, here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> We're going to break up in small groups again. You are making so many friends. So I want you to get in groups of four to six, and we're going to pray. And, and here are some, some prayer points for you. Um, why don't you go ahead and start moving to your groups, and then I'll give you your prayer points. All right? I'll be down there in a minute. All right. So one of the, one of the things y'all need to understand is that I'm 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 somewhat sneaky um, in some of the things that I do. So you've heard me say for years and years and years that Christianity is not something that's supposed to be lived in isolation. And so we really, 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 really want everybody here in this church to be in a small group. And so I'm just going to start putting you in small groups on, <laughs> on Sundays. So that's what we're doing today. So you're in a small group today, and I want you to, to talk a little bit and pray a lot about these things. Um, you know, what are the places in my life that, I, that really need, I need to surrender where are the places in, in me that maybe I'm trying to operate in self-effort, just really just trying harder? Instead, you know, it's kind of the old, old saying, uh, I was talking to Danny last week, he said, you know, I've just learned to work smarter instead of harder. So 
if you believe smarter or, or live smarter instead of harder, it, what, what it amounts to is that I'm going to focus on surrender more than effort, and I promise you it will produce more fruit. So what are places in my life where maybe I've just focused on effort, I'm just trying harder instead of surrendering more, okay? And then after you kind of deal with that and pray in regard to that, then, you know, what are some ways, you know, challenges that I have with people that don't believe? And, and how can I apply uh, the things that have been talked about today uh, in a better way? So first, yourself. You know, what are some places that I need to sur- where I need to surrender? And then secondly, you know, are there relationships that you have that you want to just pray about today that God would open doors for you? Uh, to pray for these people, to share with these people, that kind of thing. Is that clear enough? Y'all got that? Perfect. Go for it.